the Links and Locks podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Four. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello, you beautiful degenerates, and welcome to Links and Locks, the Action Network's golf betting podcast presented by Bet365. I'm your host, Roberto Arguello, and I'm excited to be joined by Spencer Aguiar and Nick Bretwish for our 3M Open preview. It's not a major championship this week. We don't have a major championship for nine more months, but the money still pays out the same whether you bet someone at 100 to 1 this week or if you got Brian Harmon 100 to 1 last week. Congrats to all the Brian Harmon backers and to Brian Harmon, of course, for an incredible performance over there at Royal Liverpool. But we're here in Blaine, Minnesota, ready for the 3M Open at TPC Twin Cities. Spencer, let's jump right into it. What's your best bet for this week? I wanted to give a placement bet. Uh, That was what I was initially going to do. I'm going to instead give a matchup here. I I think there's a lot of volatility that comes into play on this wager on both sides of the equation. And I'll talk about it in a second, but Nikolai Hoygaard minus 110 over Sahith Tagala. Oh, okay. Interesting. Excited to hear about that one in a moment. But first, Nick, what is your best bet this week? I'm going back to our boy. We loved what we saw, even though we hated what we saw from our boy Killer Keith at the Scottish Open to win 40 to 1. Um, I believe that is still out on Bet365 as well. I will confirm 50 to 1 at Bet365. So I purchased a bad number at 40 to 1. I have my 33 to 1. So I'm still. Cool with it. I'm going to go back to the well on Bet365 at 50 to 1 all day. Awesome. Cashmere Keith is in the building for us in Minnesota. And I'm going to go into the placement market as well. I'm going Doug Gim, top 40, plus 125, where all ties are paid in full. I'll give you the cap on that one in a moment. But first, Spencer, why do you like Hoygaard in your matchup bet? For the most part, it'll be a relatively light card for me. There's going to be a few deep top 40 shots that I'll talk about later. Uh, One in particular, which almost made this section. I also have a handful of outrights that I like, Keith Mitchell being one of them, which we'll get to that too. But I'm essentially trying to find a way to fade Tagala in the market above anything else. Tagala's lost with his driver in seven of eight starts. That feels like a potential concern at a venue that will have water entering the mix at most turns. 15 of the holes here do have that potential issue. Uh, The one trait for me that caught my eye, though, was the historical struggles he's faced with a fast bent grass putting surface. His flat stick has really carried him this season by ranking 14th in this field on all courses, but my model pushed him outside the top 100 on this specific texture that we get here. I think if the putter struggles, I wouldn't be shocked if he misses his third straight weekend. Hoygaard probably isn't a perfect candidate either with his erratic nature off the tee, but I'm going to bet on that three straight top 23 finishes on tour that he's produced. I think that blends very nicely with the ball striking combination that placed him inside the top 10 of my model. And I'm going to bet on what I believe has more safety there over this boomer bust profile that's showing with the gala and all the critical T to green numbers of that off the T and approach areas that I'm talking about there. So I just thought 110 was a good price. And for the most part of it, it seems like that number might even become better in our favor. Like I wouldn't be shocked if that doesn't close as like a plus 100 spot. I mean, obviously there's a chance that it moves after me mentioning it here or it stays the same, but um I think Hoygaard's an intriguing candidate to take on against the Gala, who's just kind of up and down for me. Yeah, the Gala actually made 21 straight cuts before his last two consecutive tournaments in which he missed both cuts. 
Also has lost on approach in three straight tournaments. So a little bit of a loss of form uh, in some ways for Sahit Digala and a guy whom I thought was a better fit at the Scottish Open because of the big wide fairways, taking advantage of his length off the tee and that short game prowess, but miscut there nonetheless. Nick, let's jump into your best bet. Yeah, Figala's ball striking is all over the place, so I, I do like that bet a lot, Spencer. And Hoygaard was fantastic last week, so you'll love to see that. Uh, I'm going with Keith Mitchell, as we said. Uh, don't have a ton of course history or anything like that. I did not weight that very heavily in my miles, but when Mitchell did participate here in 2021 he was number one in strokes gained off the tee and the scary thing is he was second in strokes gained putting i think that's what really intrigued me the most is because we know keith mitchell is a total driving you know star and that matters a lot at this tournament when looking at past winners and guys that you know finish inside the top 10 seem to drive the ball very well here at tpc twin cities what intrigues me the most though is we talked about it offline. I know we were very excited to get Keith Mitchell action at the open. He just missed the qualification, so did not get in. But he was top 15 in ball striking in both rounds that he played. He did miss a cut, I believe, on the number, maybe by one stroke, and he was dead last in putting. So to see him come back to a venue where he had extreme success on the greens, they're very large. So, um, you know, that he's not an elite approach player by any means, but he is a great ball striker overall. Going back to familiar greens that he succeeded at, I'm going to go with Keith Mitchell, especially now that it's at 50 to 1. I believe last week we mentioned his name and we said that he was second in total driving. He actually has moved up after Patrick Canley, who was number one in total driving, moved down. And Keith Mitchell is number one on total driving on the PGA Tour this year in the top 40 in both driving distance and accuracy. And of course, we're Drivers as important as ever on any course on the PJ Tour. I think he's got some upside this week. And now to my play, a guy whom I'm not going to bet in the outright markets this week in Doug Gim, but I love the consistency that he's displayed recently. Prior to going across the pond where he missed the cut at the Scottish Open, he had six consecutive top 33 finishes, including gaining on approach in all six uh, of those tournaments. And he gained strokes off the tee in five of six. He's also solid in total driving. He's just 126th in distance, but 17th in driving accuracy, which moves him up to 26th so far this season on the PGA Tour in total driving. And the Scottish Open, different style golf course. I'm just kind of going to throw that one out for Doug Gim, a younger golfer on the PGA Tour. And he's shown a lot more success in these Parkland golf courses. I'm going to continue to ride that combination of strong approach play and off the tee play here. And he's also got two top 20 finishes here at the 3M Open as well. So there's a lot of form going on with him. So he's got strong form, and he's also got strong course history. I like the fit for him with his premium of accuracy off the tee. Give me Doug Gim for top 40 at plus 125, where all ties are paid in full. Guys, we mentioned this is the 3M Open, the fifth tournament here for the 3M Open since the first one in 2019. It was actually the first PJ Tour Live golf tournament I got to call, uh, which was a ton of fun. Matthew Wolf won that one, and we've seen a lot of bombers off the tee win this one. But it might be a little bit misleading because looking at the strokes gain numbers, accuracy has actually been much more strongly correlated with strokes gain total than driving distance off the tee. Spencer, what have you been waiting in your mall this week? And do you have an archetype of a type of player that you're playing this week in certain markets versus others? Yeah, I think there is. An, and uh, tournament director Hollis Kavner probably described the venue best when he called it birdies and train wrecks. You have 15 <laughs> holes that will see water come into play. That makes the course the highest penalty property on tour when looking into the 303 water balls uh, last season. But despite all the errors and mistakes that are looming around every turn, 
This track is still ripe for the taking for anyone who can avoid the tournament ending mistake. I think to answer your question, Roberto, so when I looked at the numbers here, we've historically seen massive increases in expected production for off the tee and approach stats. Off the tee metrics yield a 4.4% increase in dispersion of scoring. Approach better is that at 6.1%. That combination of ball striking is going to outweigh any of your short game metrics. And it renders this reduction that dictates finding fairways and greens if you want to succeed. I think that kind of goes to your point. You don't want to be in the water. You do need to have accuracy here at the end of the day. I do think, though, that distance is an interesting combination. Like, if you look at the golfers who have won at this, you have Cameron Champ, you have Matthew Wolf, you have Tony Finau. Maybe Finau is more in the middle there of this complete total driver, but the ability to hit distance, and, and I think a guy like Keith Mitchell, for example, of is like the ultimate fit of this. If you can get that combination of distance and accuracy, then all the better with it, because I've made this comment a lot. I think the guy who's the longest and the straightest typically wins a lot of these tournaments. And, you know, those are there's weeks where Cam and Cameron Champ, like, for example, he can be more accurate than he typically is off the tee. And all of a sudden he finds more success than he normally does just because he's hitting it so much further than a lot of players there. I think that's something to keep in mind here. Um, there's a lot of guys who fit that threshold of what I'm looking for. I, I would say some combination of weight of proximity, ball striking. I did look at TPC scoring, a weighted mixture of all three scoring zones. So that would be part threes, fours, and fives and reweighted to calculate it that way. There's going to probably still be some luck that will come into play. I would consider this very similar to a Florida course that can be unforgiving in its penalty for an errant shot. A miss by 18 inches can be just as much damage as if you miss by 18 yards. I don't technically love tournaments like that because the punishment is too severe for two wildly different errors that occur. But I'm essentially trying to find quality ball strikers above anything else. And then hoping that I can avoid the problems that do loom around every single corner as much of, as possible when I take those two factors into account. Well, you mentioned the 18 inches versus 18 yards off. At least it's not out of bounds this week. And yeah. one thing I will say about the course, I am a huge fan of the 18th hole here. It's a 596 yard par five. And we've seen eagles on this hole on the last day it's going to be assuming there's not a six shot difference between the leaders coming down the stretch this week it's going to be providing drama for us throughout the week whether you've got first round leader bets uh matchup bets everything's going to be up in the air this week with an 18th hole that's actually eagleable unlike what we saw last week uh i did think the course was awesome last week but it's a different chance this week uh not going to be a major championship setting but i think it's going to be fun to watch uh especially coming down the stretch Nick, anything else to add uh, or metrics you're weighing this week uh, that we haven't touched about, touched on yet? Uh, maybe the only thing that mattered a little bit more to me than um, I was anticipating, at least. It's something that I usually weigh pretty heavily all the time. But bankrass putting um, seems like just going through the leaders and how guys gain strokes uh, throughout the past couple of years. Stroke saving putting is going to be pretty important, especially on these very large greens, three putt avoidance. Um, other than that, I mean factoring the weather if the weather is relatively calm i know it's going to be hot as hell in the midwest all week long i'm going to cubs cardinals on thursday night in st louis the weather is predicted to be 102 i think it's like 95 in minnesota so just everywhere in the midwest is going to be on fire this week so that'll be interesting to uh to play golf and especially for how long these pga tour rounds take but other than that i think it's going to be a birdie fest i usually don't love this tournament um, spoke to some of the Minnesota guys on Twitter that we know, and they just said it's kind of like the worst time of the year to play golf in Minnesota. It should be like an early season or a fall season, but it is what it is. I think guys are going to go low, and I think it should be fun to watch, especially with that 18th hole that you guys mentioned there. 
Yeah, I just want to add one more thing to that 18th hole also because you do have eagle rates that come into play, and it's kind of what you were alluding to there a second ago, Roberto. It's a challenging hole, though, still. Like, there's a 21.3% bogey or worse rate. There's a 6.4% double bogey or worse percentage. Like, there's a lot that can happen on that final hole that's going to either change the complexion of a first-round leader bet, maybe of an in-tournament matchup, perhaps of who wins the golf tournament here. So uh, it's a fun hole to watch because everything is in play of what is possible there. Um, You also have some very challenging longer par fours that are going to have to, you're going to have to be careful. Like it's a birdie fest at the end of the day. And I think that's what makes it so difficult on the scorecard of what you're trying to project because you're projecting a birdie fest, but then you also have these enough holes that come into play that do add challenge to the mix in. I did weigh a little bit of bogey avoidance. As Nick talked about, I did look at bent grass putting. I tried to find some fast putting uh, on these similar green complexes. I think that does matter here. Uh, I know the dispersion of scoring would say opposite of it, but I kind of noticed that there was enough in my model, the way that I ran it, where it did seem to be indicative of what I was trying to find. So um, not necessarily my favorite course either, but there's enough there to make excitement and I don't think we necessarily get to, you know, 27 under par for the winner. I I still think that you're kind of in that 16 to 21 under range, depending on exactly what kind of wind or weather that we end up getting. I will add that they grew out the rough, I believe, to four inches last year, and there was more wind. So Tony Fina won at 17 under. I don't think anybody else was lower than 14 under. So it did play tougher last year. If the wind does pick up, that'll play a role. And Nick, as you mentioned, it's going to be nice and hot out there in the Midwest, and perhaps we get some nice firm and fast conditions that really separate the good from the great out there. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, fellas, let's jump into our outright card. Spencer, I'll let you get it going. I thought the players at the top of the board had the most projected win equity. I mean, that doesn't, that's not a shock. That's how it's supposed to be, but thought that 12 to 30 to one range was, I guess mispriced would be the way that I would best say it uh, just because everybody got reduced too far, but in the same breath of that answer, I do think that they should be the favorites. And that's kind of what made this board complicated for me. Sometimes that works well to find random value if the board does get condensed in one area. But as I said, the problem with my math this week is that the pricing got bled dry when trying to find an edge with any of those favorites. Uh, Everyone got reduced from proper that I had. It shaded the outright exposure in pretty much every uh, book that I found. Really difficult tournament to bet from an outright betting perspective. I seem to think that most of the value came in that 40 to 70 to one range for players that got pushed up too far. I am also going to Keith Mitchell at 40 to one. We can call it 50 to one now there, if that's the best price out in the space. We've got a 55 to one in bet three, six, fives enhanced win market that I just saw. So shout out to just keeps getting better. Just keep sucking me in. All right, I'm back. I'm I'm (laughs) going, going back to the well. What could go wrong after a terrible week last week? So Yeah. The thing is, though, I mean, 55 to one is just a really good price grab, if nothing else. It's not to say that Mitchell's not going to implode on us again, and it's certainly a possibility with it. But I'm going to throw out the Barracuda miscut. I I can't imagine his dream during the Open Championship week would have been playing a stable third scoring contest. Uh, Let's erase that from our memories. We also have that miscut that we've all talked about at the Scottish Open. That actually further piqued my curiosity since my model graded him as one of the most significant underachievers that missed the weekend on the leaderboard that I've encountered in quite some time. Um, I don't want to get too much into the stats because we've already talked about it, but Mitchell gained a whopping 6.74 shots ball striking over his two rounds there in Scotland. 
That was a total that projected him as a top five option on the leaderboard. All of a sudden, uh, I added in his baseline short game. He still should have been inside the top five. Unfortunately, he lost 6.83 shots with that short game that we keep going back to. I just think at the end of the day, anytime we talk about inflation and importance for total driving and deflation for around the green returns, Mitchell's upside naturally will see a boost. 55 to one's a really good price to try to take a gamble on that. I took Aaron Rye at 50 to one. Rye is going to be extremely popular in all markets. He's produced four top 25 finishes over his last six starts. He has top 10 marks at TPC tracks, recent T to green production, and GIR plus weighted proximity. He's probably going to be too chalky for my liking right now for talking about DFS or anything like that. But the ceiling is high for a golfer that is still looking for his first career PGA Tour title. I took Nikolai Hoygaard at 55 to 1. Kind of talked about the reasons why I disliked the Gala and why Hoygaard was going to make the card in that area. Um, I think from an outright bet, we're still talking about a 22-year-old kid who's, you know, recently demonstrated massive potential. Three top 23 finishes over his last three starts. I just don't think the public or books have necessarily reacted in, to that in the way that I think is proper. Uh, those results add to a quick start to his career on tour earlier this season. And then I was most intrigued by some of the data that I found. He was seventh place for weighted scoring, eighth for total projected strokes gained ball striking. I think that only adds to the extra areas to consider him outside of the safety market. Uh, 55 to one was just going to be a price that I thought was a good value there. I took Ryan Fox at 66 to one. If we remove the questionable TPC production in his career, the overall makeup for Ryan Fox is extremely impressive. My one concern for him as an outright bet was that he didn't generate a ton of the upside metrics that I wanted to see that would push him towards the winner's circle. Uh, unfortunately, that's the same answer that I could give him last week about Brian Harmon. It's the reason why he didn't make my card. This was also just a number grab above anything else. I thought he should have been closer price to 45 to one. And then Roberto, I feel like this is a guy you and I have talked so much about recently um, and throughout the season. Kevin Yu, 110 to one. Um, you know, if it wasn't for the meniscus tear that he suffered in the middle of the season, I truly believe we're looking at a 50 to one sort of golfer in this field. Like to me, him and Aaron Rye would kind of be in the same price point of what we're trying to find for this tournament. So thought the 110 to one number was really intriguing. I know some people got him higher. The numbers moved a little bit and made him lower in some spots, but if I did not, and if I do not regress any of the numbers in my sheet, you graded off the tee as the top performer in this contest. He's also first in GIR plus weighted proximity. I wouldn't say the floor is perfect, you know, for head-to-head -head markets or anything of that nature, but the ceiling is going to be way too high for the price that we're going to be able to get him at at most of these books. So even if he doesn't win the contest this week, keep an eye on him during the fall. I think this is a golfer with immense upside with the way that he can ball strike. Um, you know, I've given this example about players before and I didn't have enough data on them. And unfortunately it went South. I think I said this about Davis Thompson early in the season that my numbers had him as one of the best ball strikers I've seen. And then I don't know what happened to Davis Thompson and the numbers never quite put it together after that. I'm going to give the same answer about Kevin. Yu. the ball striking metrics just look phenomenal inside my sheet. Yeah. Kevin, Yu is probably my favorite outright play this week. I love him a lot, but before we get into my outright card, I'll send it over to Nick. Who you got this week, Nick? All right. It's uh, it's not anything super sexy. Uh, one of the guys that checked every single single box for me and the market seems to hate as much as the public always love this guy. Ludwig Aberg at 33 to one was the best number I could get on Monday. I think that has gone 
to a shorter number now. So at least I'm on the right side of that movement, unlike the Keith Mitchell stuff here. Uh, Will Gordon. Um, it's been a couple podcasts since I mentioned Will Gordon. <laughs> we know he's my boy. Uh, absolutely loved what he did. The Scottish couldn't make a putt to save his life, but he is a ball striking machine. Absolutely amazing off the tee. He's going to make this course look really short. I know distance is probably not nearly as important as accuracy, but he is accurate with the driver as well. Uh, 125 to 1 was the best number I got on Will Gordon. T25 at the Scottish in a very strong field. This guy can play elite golf. It's just what Will Gordon shows up, and can he put it all together in one round? I think this is one of the weaker fields we're going to see for the rest of the season. So it's a good shot, good time to buy on Will Gordon, especially at that number. Uh, we talked about Keith Mitchell. And then my last pick, I'm also going to turn this into uh, my placement market pick as well. It's gross. I would, uh, I'd really like to get both your guys' thoughts, especially uh, Spencer, how he grades in your model here. But let me pull up my notes for what I wrote down. But um, it's Lanto Griffin, boys. I know he's been dealing with an injury earlier this year with the back, and then it kind of turned into the rib situation. But he was sixth off the tee at the John Deere for the full event, 45th in ball striking with a top 10 round of ball striking there as well. And then at the Rocket Mortgage Classic, he was, you know, he, he missed a cut, but two fantastic rounds of ball striking and strokes gained off the tee. This is a guy that historically was a fantastic iron player prior to the injury, really struggled around the green, which we both have talked about, or all three of us have talked about that around the green game, really not mattering with these larger greens. And someone who is an elite putter um, just two years ago. So I don't really know what's going on with the putter, but Looking at his baseline this year and then going back to his overall expected strokes game putting on bent grass, Lanto Griffin surprisingly checked every single box for me. So 300 to one on the outright market. I feel like that's the price that we would get for him anyway, if it was a loaded field contest. So um, again, probably it's, it's my throwaway pick that happens every single week, but maybe one time we're going to get one of these guys and it'll be fun. Um, but also to ride that into the top 40 market, my numbers seem to have a significant edge on him, just like they did with Jordan Smith last week. Do you see what he finished? T41 right outside. That was uh, that was a lot of fun to see that one. But Lanto Griffin plus 320 to finish top 40. My numbers have that 100 points less at plus 220. Again, this is weighting a lot heavier on Lanto's baseline because I did not want to take those first couple Strokes gain metrics from the tournaments he came back after a back and rib injury. So now that he's kind of finding his form that we've seen the last two tournaments, um, I love it. So I'm going to take 100 points of value. It's the biggest edge that I've had or perceived edge, if you call it that, in the top 40 market that I've seen all season long. So again, risky as hell. So take that for uh, for what it's worth. But would love to hear your guys' thoughts on the potential slow but sure turnaround of Lanto Griffin's ball striking. There's a couple of things I want to say about that. So the first answer is uh, Roberto. I believe you also had the Corey Connors ticket last week over on yes. bet three, six, five. Uh, he finished in 52nd place. We had him 51st <laughs> or better. So yeah, that was funny too. that's another loss. That was unfortunate for the show here, but to go to Nick's point with Lanto Griffin. So there are four players for me that if I get rid of safety marks, so that would be, miscut potential or anything like that. And we just shoot for as much upside as you can possibly find here. And don't worry about anything else. Who are the four players that see the biggest increase in my model? Kevin Roy would be number one. Bryce Garnett would be number two. Lanto Griffin would be number three. Kevin, you would be number four. Hmm. It's going to obviously be really gross with Lanto. It's a boom or bust play where the floor is going to be a miscut, but 
I think from an I mean, upside standpoint, it's like that's exactly what you're looking for on on a on a quality of a player that can compete. Yeah, and when you're getting over three to one in the top forty market too, I feel like that's starting to become an upside type of number instead of like a floor bet that we're usually looking for in the top forty market. And for whatever it's worth, he missed the uh, the cut at the Rocket Mortgage on the number. So, you know, the missed cut equity that he's shown earlier this year, it is starting to go away a little bit, especially when. Nobody in the world is going to be on this guy. And like I said, any every other tournament, Lanto's numbers right around 300 anyway. So I'll take it here in this field. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we'll get to it later inside the placement market, but it's the exact reason why I took Kevin Roy and Bryce Garnett. Um, Garnett is three to one. Roy is four to one to land a Love top Kevin 40. Roy. Like I'm just Love going Kevin to take Roy. as many chances as I can with players like that, because you know, no matter how we want to shake this and what, no matter what we want to say about this tournament, it's still a volatile event that water comes into play. Yep. I, anytime that's the answer for me, I'd rather find these two to one, three to one, four to one top 40 shots and just hope that a couple of them can hit because one bad hole with water and all of a sudden you're taken out of the mix with this. And uh, it's like Florida golf. Like that's exactly what Florida golf always is in a nutshell. And I do the same concept there. So I think Lanto is extremely volatile. Like I don't want to make any other statement than that, but he is worth a shot as a top 40 or things beyond that, just because he does possess that upside. Yeah, I was going to say this is the same reason we took Kevin Roy, the Honda Classic Top 40, and I think that was kind of uh, his coming out party, I guess, if you will, for the PGA Tour. It's not like it's an impressive resume so far, but the guy strikes the ball. Fantastic. Yeah. I like Kevin Roy more than Lanto in this market, and Kevin Respect. Roy is also around plus 400. So I would lean that way, but Lanto is someone whom, unlike Kevin Roy, who's a rookie on the PGA Tour, Lanto Griffin's won on the PGA Tour, won in the Houston Open previously, and there is a history that shows he can get to a certain level of golf, which he's not at right now. He's clearly still looking for it. I am not going to play him while he looks for his form. I'd like to see a little bit more progress as far as uh, strokes gained approach and just not that he's going to kill me with the putter. Uh, <laughs> I, I like that this is a week where around the green isn't as important. But I just need to see a little bit more from Lanto Griffin. I think he's somebody that's very much worth keeping an eye on. Um, but hey, I at plus three twenty, I think you can make a lot worse bets for the top forty market. And who knows if he's plus three twenty in some top forty market, he might be plus three fifty or even plus four hundred if other people out there have access to some other books. So uh, depending on what you have, definitely worth looking out for uh, Lanto Griffin this week. Price shopping for him and keep an eye on him in the future weeks. I will jump into my outright card in just a moment, but first, as a reminder, the Links and Locks podcast is proudly presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer, bet $1 on any game, and get $200 in bonus bets. Must be 21 or older. Offer is available in Colorado, New Jersey, Ohio, Virginia, and Iowa in the U.S. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, so back to my outright card. I was trying to find a difference between Sepp Straka and Emiliano Grillo. I trust Sepp Straka's putting a little bit more right now, so I'm going to dip in with him, uh, plus 3,300. Total driving, we mentioned, is really important this week. He's 18th on the tour in total driving, 108th in distance, but more importantly for me this week, 20th in accuracy. And on approach, he's shown that he can flash elite form. He's gained over two strokes just on approach per round in three of his last eight tournaments. Not happening every week, but you can't have spike weeks every week. Uh, he's shown that he can do it a little bit more consistently some, than some of the other guys in this field at this price, so I like him a lot. I also consider Ludwig Abert here as well, and if I see him 
finding fairways, I might fire a live bet on him. I'm going to try to keep some room on my card. Um, another thing for Sepp Straka, weaknesses around the green for him, but he's actually gained strokes around the green in four of his last six. So I just think everything's firing on all cylinders for him. T2 at the open, win at John Deere Classic. Actually gained more strokes total at the open last week than he did in his win at the John Deere Classic. And he tied for 18th here in 2020, gained 1.84 strokes on approach per round in 2021 as well in a missed cut, I believe. Uh, so he's shown that he can have success on this golf course. He just needs to put the pieces together. And I think that he's got everything firing on all cylinders. So I like his chances this week. Lucas Glover was my next play at 50 to one, really strong on approach gained in 10 of his last 11. And he was horrific for the better part of a decade with the putter, but he switched putters recently at the rocket mortgage classic when he changed to a broomstick putter, very similar to the one that Adam Scott has, if not an an identical replica. And since then, he's got three straight top six finishes, been putting much better. And he's also got some strong form here T with a T7 in 2019, also has two other miscuts. But I think he's um, in much better form, specifically on approach. He's really accurate with the driver, been above average field driving accuracy in 18 of his last 20 events. I think Lucas Glover is someone who has a really high floor and a high ceiling this week. I'm also dipping my toes in with Keith Mitchell, 55 to 1. Nick texted our group. Keith Mitchell, 41, got to look out. I was like, ah, I like him, love the total driving. Don't know if I trust his putter or the approach game, really. We've seen some more signs of life with the approach play, specifically at the Genesis Scottish Open. And at 55 to 1 in this field, for the best total driver on the PGA Tour, I'll take it all day. I'm going to go dip down to Alex Noren at 80 to 1 as well, who's capable of spiking on approach and with the putter. The question is if he's going to hit enough fairways. He's shown that he can do it here with a T3 in 2020 and also has some strong form with a T23 at the Open and a T9 at the Rocket Mortgage Classic, which profiles similarly to this course. I didn't know we could say that name on the yeah. show ever again. Um, I thought there was rules. We sent a <laughs> NDA, everything like that, about um, that guy's name. So I don't know, but uh, I'll blank that part out of my mind. But other than that, I love it. All right, I'm going to yeah. keep it rolling. Kevin Yu, <laughs> Spencer touched on him. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. anymore. He's got big upside. I love him. I sprinkled Peter Quest at 120 to one. He's a bomber who can spike on approach and with the putter. Awesome story. Peter Quest, guy who was just chasing Mondays, trying to Monday qualify, get into tournaments, eventually got enough points to get special temporary status on the PJ Tour, the T4 at the Rocket Mortgage Classic. Almost got him there. All he needed to do was make a cut at another tournament, but that T4 got him into the tournament the next week at the John Deere, where he finished T17. He's got intriguing upside for me. Not a ton of data for Peter Quest, but I'll take a chance with him here. I'll probably play him for first round leader if he's got a morning tea time. Haven't finished all of my research there, but I'll have an article coming out on action with first round leader bets for tomorrow. Ches Reby, 101. Been betting him recently. He's a short hitter, so that's not ideal, but he finds fairways and is really strong on approach. The putter's also been relatively hot, and he's got two made cuts here and two appearances, including a T11 in 2021. So, I've got a pretty robust outright card this week, but I got some guys who I really like in that 80 to 100 to run range and also really like Lucas Glover at 50 to 1. And Keith Mitchell, surprised to be able to find him at 55 to 1 this week, but I'm loving that even more, especially after hearing you guys talk about him today. Fellas, let's jump into our placement market bets and any or just the rest of your card. So whatever else you got, let's uh, let's throw it out there for the people. I'll start off with you, Spencer. Uh, Kevin Roy, top 40. Uh, four to one. I've kind of already talked to him. Nick's talked about him enough too over the past year on this show that I think we kind of know what he is at this point. He's a pristine ball striker that gets an enhancement 
at this particular venue because of the reduction in around the green presence. He ranked 17th in my model this week for both weighted scoring and ball striking. That helped them to make him the most mispriced player I had this week inside the top 40 sector. Took Bryce Garnett top 40 at three to one. TPC Twin Cities doesn't exactly scream rollover course predictability, but Garnett has never come worse than 31st here in four tries. I would generally throw that factor away if it happened to generate a reduced price in the market, but plus 300 for a statistical makeup that also landed him 34th overall in my model when just talking about stats is an excellent combination for why he's found success at this property. I think I go back to your point that you made, Roberto, like, there's a reason why I took those two over Lanto Griffin. I just thought they were safe for profiles. I, I do think Lanto makes a lot of sense. So as a third name, if you're trying to find a three to one or greater shot, but instead I ended up going to MJ Duffy top 40 at plus 220. Uh, he has rendered five consecutive finishes within that mark since the RBC Canadian open. I don't think the profile is perfect and it does possess some potential issues, but the price is too high for a golfer that has produced 15 consecutive rounds of par or better. And then to close out my card here, obviously I have the Hoygaard over Thigala head-to-head matchup. I don't have anything else yet in that matchup sector that I have, whether that be for first round or anything else. But I'm going to take two shots in the bet 365 finishing position market. It's going to be Ryan Fox, 48th or better at minus 120, and Matt Kuchar, 59th or worse at minus 120. I think I've talked about Fox already for why I like him, so... Uh, you can go back and listen to the outright section there. But the form around Kucher has been quietly alarming. You might not realize what he's been producing because of his three made cuts and five starts. But Kucher has lost off the tee in nine of his last 11 starts and on approach in four or five. Four of the last 14 events have seen, have seen him lose at least 4.6 shots with his approach game. Two of the past five have encountered losses of 6.5 and 7.5 respectively with that iron play. I just think with all the water out here that Kucher will lose his scrambling ability that has salvaged many of these recent contests. It's one of the reasons why for me, he's a good missed cut candidate, even if you just want to bet him in that capacity of the market. Uh, this helps a little bit too with top 65 or ties making the weekend. Let's just say 70 something players get through when all is said and done. I think there's a chance on Saturday or Sunday, even if he gets himself into the weekend, we see him implode here. Uh, there's a lot of danger with the 15 holes that have water coming into play. So kind of think Kucher's going to miss the weekend. If, even if he doesn't, I kind of think that we eventually see him implode. Just thought it was one of those spots where I could kind of bet against name recognition above anything else in, in that sector. What did you say the number was for that one? Uh, 59th or worse. I'm seeing it as 58th or worse on bet three, six, five now. So we just got a little bit more value there. And I also had that one circled. So I'm all over it. Matt Kuchar, arguably the best short game on the PGA Tour, been elite there for forever, and that advantage is rendered null this week. So love that spot. Any other ones for you, Spencer, or can I send it to Nick? Nope. Uh, it's Nick, tell us what you got. Yeah, I'm going to do the impod play on Nikolai over Thigala uh, in that matchup there. And then I did take Ludwig Aberg top 10 at plus 360. Again, he just checks every single box for me. I, there's some sort of letdown coming again. The, like he's a dog to Emiliano Grio. I know Grio just played so well last week, but Lovic Gaber is such a more talented golfer. I know Grio is a talented ball striker too, and seems to be putting it together at the right time, but I'm going to take a little big here. You, you know, Nick, and we even talked about this after the Scottish open, all three of us had this conversation. Cause I was trying to talk about this from a season long perspective. 
I was trying to find any reason I could to bench Ludwig over in the Scottish Open. My model did not like him that week. I think this is a perfect course fit for him. Anytime that he's going to get a venue that accentuates his driving ability, it just increases his likelihood that he actually wins the contest. And I do have concerns that, you know, him, Cameron Young, Sungjae Im, one of these types of names ends up winning the contest here. You can throw in the Grios and the Strakas or any of those names. And that's kind of my biggest concern of why I didn't want to take too many shots. You know, I have a bunch of 40 to 70 to one names there, but I left enough room from in tournament wagers. If I want to find somebody like, you know, maybe after day one, any of those names that I've said have drifted to a number that makes sense. I'm kind of trying to keep that open because I, I do think that, you know, you mentioned this Roberto. Yes. Statistically accuracy has been more indicative of who finds the most success, but I think if we're actually talking about winning this contest, I think distance matters more. I, I think they're both very important, uh, but for the winner, you've got to have that extra gear where you got to be the best. Uh, you yeah. got to be the best out of 156 and Aberg's off the T game is fascinating. He, in his five PGA tour tournaments he's played in has been at least 11 yards above the average driving distance on the field. And four out of the five, he's been 17 yards longer or more. He's been, at least average driving accuracy or better in all five of those events. So he is perhaps a generational driver of the golf ball, um, which is special. We haven't seen him put it together on all three other fronts around the green, uh, on the green with putting and on approach yet. And I'm still trying to figure out where the approach play ceiling is because he's only gained on approach two times. One of those was 0.02 strokes per round. So basically dead even uh, average and then 0.8 strokes better. So still trying to figure out what that ceiling is for him on approach, but he's got a really high floor because of that unique distance and accuracy combination. Uh, he's not eligible to be on the total driving statistic, I would I would guess, or else he'd be number one, uh, which is five tournaments played. But I am intrigued. I also wanted to find a way to fade the gala. I'm seeing in a three-way market where a tie after 72 holes or eight or 36, depending on what happens, uh, would be a loss here. But Aberg minus 134 over the gala in the three-way market. What do you guys think about that one? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm down to take on the Like I, I think he's bad value in a lot of ways of looking at it. And uh just to double down on that point, like I don't have all the numbers in front of me, you know, like I run my total driving a little bit differently than the PGA tour does. Um, but I do have enough stats that I am able to run it specifically for this event to mm -hmm. figure out where Aberg would rank compared to everybody else. And uh, Keith Mitchell was number one. I think that's obviously why I always find so much intrigue with him. Aberg was two. Kevin Yu was three. I think Nick hacked my model. Will Gordon was number four. Um, Peter Quest, Cameron Young, Gary Woodland, Nikolai Hoygaard, Davis Thompson. That's a lot of names that finished there. But I, I think that you are correct in the assessment that Aberg is generational talent when we're talking about the driver. He is like Rory-esque to me. I don't know if he's going to be able to put together the approach play, the around the green metrics, the putter. He's a young kid. It'll all come together, in my opinion. I don't know how quickly it will, but the ceiling is so massive for him that I am very intrigued every single time he tees it up. And once again, we've seen rookies or guys who aren't even technically in their rookie year because they don't have status yet, which his rookie year is next year because he won the PJ Tour U. So he's still not even technically a rookie. But we've seen Matthew Wolf win here as a rookie on tour. Perhaps he could do it again uh, this year in the fifth time that the 3M Open has been played. 
Uh, getting into the rest of my card, uh, so I had Doug Gim, top 40, plus 125. I'm also going to play Keith Mitchell, plus 110 over Gary Woodland. I think that uh, Woodland has too high of a floor to not have him in another market, and I want to fade Gary Woodland here. I also like Mark Hubbard, 49th or better, at minus 120 on bet 365. Another guy who's really accurate off the tee. Might not have that extra gear to win this tournament. If he was at 80 to 1, like we've seen him in past months, I would have a ticket on him, but he's in the 40 to 1 market, or 41 range in that market. So it's a pass for me there, but I like him 49th or better. And then I'm also going to be betting Vincent Norman, 47th or better. Another guy who's a really strong golfer or driver of the golf ball, who's in great form right now. I could see him winning this week, but didn't love the number on him in the outright market. Fellas, any other plays before we get into our quick rapid fire portion? No, I, I think just to add to that Norman point, um, it was great for him. Disappointing that he won in one of those secondary sort of events, because I would have loved to have found a price that was above the going rate that we're getting this week. I think he also got pushed down too far. I will say I kind of like Gary Woodland this week. He, he was a name that I was trying to find a way to get exposure to. Now, I couldn't find a way to do it uh, in any capacity with him. But, um, I mean, I obviously like Keith Mitchell, too. So, I mean, it's just, it's to me, those are just two names that I both like. I think they both have that that off the tee game that is very intriguing. I trust Keith Mitchell with the putter more, even though he's had some poor weeks recently, than I do with Gary Woodland overall. Uh, That's I fair. think we get a little bit of a discount there. But moving on to our rapid fire portion, I'll give you guys a couple names. And a number I'll give you for an outright on them, and you pick which one you'd rather have. Let's go with the aforementioned Gary Woodland, Adam Hadwin, and Cameron Davis. If I gave you a 45 to 1 ticket on them, who would you take? Starting with you, Nick. I'd go with Adam Hadwin. I like where the ball strike is at. I would go with Gary Woodland. My model liked a lot of the off the tee stuff that he put together. Fifth in my model when I only looked at the difficult scoring holes, there is a lack of birdie making upside when you look at him just in like um, a total capacity of the sense of that word. But when I recalculated a lot of the metrics for TPC twin cities, he actually graded 16th overall in me for me in weighted scoring. And the big difference there came from he's 60th in my model and par five birdie or better percentage. When you just throw him on any generic course, when I recalculated it for this specific venue, he was 12th in projected par five birdie or better percentage. And I think if you can get the par five scoring from him here, that's the upside that actually allows him to win the contest if he can put himself in contention. He can put himself or put himself into contention. Yeah. That flat stick has been a problem. Yes. Uh, let's jump to the top of the board. Cameron Young's 15 to 1. So is Sung JM. Tony Finau 17 to 1 after opening at 13 to 1 here on Bet 365. We'll throw in Hideki Matsuyama, who's also 17 to 1. These are the only four players who are under 24 to 1 on Bet 365. If I gave you a 25 to 1 ticket on one of these four players, which one would you take, Nick? I think I'd go with Sanjay M. It'd be close with him or Hideki. Um, love the form for both of them coming into this. I don't think Cameron Young is going to be in the conversation for me. I hope that doesn't blow up in my face. But again, just waiting off uh, how much I respect Ben Grass putting this week, I'm going to go with Sanjay M or Hideki, who are both fantastic in that. Spencer, I think I got an idea of what you're going to say, but I'll let you go anyways. I, I'll answer it a little bit differently, but probably with the same conclusion to it. So if you gave me a 25 to one ticket on all those names that I could pick and choose. And if I could pick two of them, I would restructure my whole card. I would take Cameron Young at 25 to one. I would take Sung JM at 25 to one, probably grab Keith Mitchell now at that 55 to one price. 
And I would call it a betting card and move forward from there. But I really like Cameron Young. I really like Sung J.M. I think to me, those are the two most likely people to win this contest, according to my model. Uh, if you make me pick one just for the sake of playing by the rules here, I'll say Cameron Young. But I mean, it is so close between him and Sung J. I like both a lot. What's the number 17 at 25 to one? I'm giving it to you at 25, but it's. Oh, okay. Okay. Cameron Young is right, yes. Then I would take the upside of Cameron Young all day at 25 to 1. Yes. I would go Cameron Young as well. By the way, he had his second best performance off the tee last week, gaining 1.7 strokes off the tee per round, and also had his best approach round or approach tournament ever, uh, gaining 2.59 strokes. That's true strokes gained per data golf per round. I'm very intrigued by his upside, and I am terrified that he could run away with this tournament. I think he's I think he's going to win. If you made me pick a name, I think he's who wins this tournament. But I mean, it's obviously a different answer than Nick gave, and we both can't be right there. So I guess for the sake of the show, I hope one of us is correct. At least like he doesn't win in the middle there. Let's hope he uh splits the fairway on the first tee, lands in a divot, makes bogey, and then we can get him on the next hole. Yeah, perfect. I'll get you out of here on this one. Who is the player who's not on your outright card? who just missed who's the first person or if you have already named him today who's someone else that you haven't named today that you really wanted to put on your card but you haven't fit in yet uh so for me it would probably be i i mean i guess like as crazy of an answer as this would be here i mean i highly considered trying to find a way to get cameron young onto my card um i didn't want to take it at the number that we're talking about in the space here and i wasn't going to get there at you know, the 16, 17 to one mark, but uh, he was intriguing. Sungjae would have been intriguing. I know he opened at 22 to one and then he immediately got pushed down. I think at 22 to one, it would have been an enticing price, but like for me, it's more so I kind of added all the names that I liked in that, you know, you want to call it 40 to a hundred to one range. So I kind of got the value there. The names I ended up missing were the ones that I felt like I got priced out of the market on. Uh, and I'm terrified that Young or Sungjae or one of those names ends up beating me. Nick, how about you? I'm going to go with Taylor Pendrith. There's still an 80 to 1 out there that is really calling my name. I really like that his game's starting to come back in form. Bankrass putting, everything like that is fantastic. So as long as that form is trending in the right direction, that is a guy with way too much talent that a year ago, if this tournament was happening right now, he'd be 30 to 1, 35 mm-hmm. to 1 at the longest. So yeah, I, I would like to buy back in to Taylor Pendrith, especially at the 80 to one number out there. I, I like, probably do it. Honestly, I'm just going to, I'm going to do it. All right. I like, play. <laughs> I, I like Cameron Davis more if we're directly comparing it and the price is different. I'm not talking about price, but I feel like Pendrith is Cameron Davis. Like in a lot of ways at more than double the total of outs there in the market. Like you kind of get a very similar profile in the distance that's added to the mix here and that skill set that he brings. And I don't know if I necessarily think he's going to win, but yeah, I, I agree. An 80 to one number on him for the upside that he possessed last year. And even like statistically that he still possesses inside my model. I, I think he's very intriguing as a top 10 sort of bet, maybe for me above anything else, even. Prior to the Barracuda where we don't have data from last week, Pendrith had gained strokes on approach in four straight tournaments, which is longer than I can see just going back very quickly in the last two years, uh, a forced tournament span. The upside on those uh, approach rounds hasn't been super high, but showing that he's rounding into form. At 8-1, I think you could do a lot worse than that. 
the first guy who missed my card this week is Garrick Higo. He quietly has gone from a bomber who ranked very, very low in driving accuracy to a guy who has now been above average uh, driving accuracy in the field in eight of his last 11 events. So really strong off the tee numbers, gain strokes off the tee in uh, 11 of 12. The approach play has just held him back so far. And he did gain strokes on approach in his last tournament at the Scottish Open where he finished T19. But prior to that, he'd gone below average uh, or he'd lost strokes on approach in 11 straight tournaments. So I still need to see more from him before I can bet on him. He's not one of those players who I believe has the immense upside that I don't need to see for him to bet on him. But if I see a little bit more progression in the approach play game or even just a little bit of time where nobody plays if he misses the playoffs and he doesn't play until the fall, He's someone whom I could target in the fall when those top 70 players on the PJ tour are not playing and everybody else is fighting to stay inside that top 125. He could be dangerous in that span. So Derek Higo is somebody I'm keeping an eye on uh, as his approach play develops further. Fellas, where can we find you this week uh, besides here on this podcast? I'll start with you, Nick. Uh, at Action Network on the best bets and then at Better Golf Pod on Twitter. Spencer, where else can the people find you this week? So you can find me on... I mean, is it even called Twitter anymore at Tiaf Sports? You can find um, him on X. Yeah, you can find me on X. That sounds like a completely different website that you can get me on. But uh, no, I will have an article out for Action Network. It was a really good in-tournament betting week for me, just in at head-to-heads in general last week. I went five and one there. feel like that market's been turning around for me recently. Uh, lost the last day on Sunday, unfortunately, when Zach Johnson couldn't get across the finish line. But Uh, Really looking forward to some of these in-tournament bets because I think that that's where the majority of the value will be found, whether we're talking about outrights or matchups or anything of that nature. And for an event like this where there is water and there's ability to make up strokes in a very quick capacity here, it's a good event to just stay on top of things as the week goes on. So, uh, no, as always, guys, appreciate doing the show, and I hope everybody out there has a good winning week at the 3M Open. As I mentioned, I'll also have a first-round leader article coming out on Action Network tomorrow. And then, of course, you can find all of our best bets out there uh, right now on Action Network on the website or on the app. And, of course, you can find me on Twitter at RobertoA213. You can find Spencer at Tee Sports, And you can find Nick at Sticks Picks. For more great golf content from our Action Network and Golf Bet team, check out our Best Bets episode from earlier this week featuring Jason Sobel and Ben Everill as they quickly run down their top plays for this week's tournament. We mentioned our first two guys who missed our card, Taylor Pendrith, whom Nick actually added in a live in-pod play, and Garrett Kigo. Jason Sobel likes both of them, so more reason to like him right there. Once again, as a reminder, the Links and Locks podcast is proudly presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer. Bet $1 on any game and get $200 in bonus bets. Must be 21 or older. Offer is available in Colorado, New Jersey, Ohio, Virginia, and Iowa in the U.S. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. So be sure to check out the ActionNetwork.com and Action app for all of our great golf betting content. Thanks again to everyone else who makes this podcast possible, especially our producers, David, Noah, Sophia, and Matt. Here's to open you hit the green this week at TPC Twin Cities. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.